podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Series 3, Episode 22 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast, our special on the 60th anniversary of the Munich Air disaster. We speak to Roy Kavanagh, MBE, a Manchester United fan and author who was aged 10 and a half at the time of the tragedy, and a regular Old Trafford match-going fan who has gone on to write over 20 books on the club, providing utterly unique insight. His most recent work is in conjunction with Professor Carl Abbott, titled The Day Two Teams Died, focusing on the eight journalists, not only the eight players, who were tragically killed on the runway in Munich. Roy gives us a lowdown on his new book, which you can read on Kindle and order in paperback now from Amazon. He also tells us the impact of the disaster on Manchester as a city, on the club over the following decade, the legacy of Munich on Manchester United today. He pays tribute to those eight journalists that were killed, telling us briefly who they were and why it's so astonishing that they are forgotten when we look back 60 years on, on an event that, as Edward Wood told fans on Saturday, is forever woven into the fabric of the club's history. Without Munich, Manchester United would simply not be the same. Roy also considers what would have happened had it not happened to the Busby Babes. Gives us the background behind that nickname too. So, Tell over us to about him. the book and why you felt compelled to write about the legacy of the journalists as well we've often forgotten about. But the day two teams died because there were eight fantastic journalists who also died at Munich. And one has to remember that in 1958, Journalism was the god. Uh, very little television. Radio was about, but certainly sport wasn't covered on radio uh, massively. And, and journalism in the newspapers were the day-to-day um, lifeblood for many a person. Uh, the News of the World, for example, a Sunday paper, would have had a circulation of around 8 million at this time. 8 million. And people um, were not uh, given falseness in the in the reporting. They were given a lot of truism. And these journalists were as big and as important as the footballers of the time. Because the footballers were on um, maximum wage, don't forget, at £20. Yeah. And journalists, um, and the eight of them, were absolutely fantastic people. Um, and, and eight of those got killed in the Munich air crash. Only one survived. But we had the fortune of meeting. Perhaps we'll discuss that uh, about 20 years after. That was Frank Taylor. But of the eight who died, Manchester in those days had two evening newspapers. The Manchester Evening News and the Manchester Evening Quad. And Alf Clark and Tom Jackson were the reporters for those two papers. And they came out six nights a week. And on the Saturday, there'd be a football pink and a football green um, for the respective papers. Uh, and then you had um, George Follows. Now, I came from uh, a working-class background. The, da- the Daily Herald was a working man's newspaper. And George Follows was a beautiful um, artist with his writing. I suppose the most charismatic was Henry Rose, who wrote in the Express. And at Henry Rose's funeral, um, 1,000 Manchester taxi drivers uh, ferried 4,000 people 
from the centre of Manchester to Southern Symmetry, about four miles outside, uh, free of charge uh, to attend his funeral. Such um, charisma that he had. Yeah, and of course you had Frank Swift, who had been England's goalkeeper, a youngster in the Manchester City team uh, at Busby, played in in two cup finals. And they were big, big friends. And Swift, of course, didn't need to be on this trip because he was the news of the world and that was a Sunday paper. But Busby wanted him on board um, because of his uh, rapport with the team who idolised him. Um, they really did idolise him. Um, and, you know, he's a great um, character. And those are some of the people, Archie Ledbrook, um, who was the only journalist to ever... Um, Chair the sports football writers and the cricket writers at the same time. H. D. Donny Davis, who wrote under Old International, he was a beautiful wordsmith. Um, he played amateur football for England, played county cricket for Lancashire as well. Um, and finally, um, Eric Thompson, who wrote in the Mail, a man who sometimes highlighted his writing by doing caricatures of um, people such as Matt Busby. So that was the background behind the book, the day of two teams there. And in conjunction with uh, Professor Carl Haddock, who I know, uh, and Carl did a lot of donkey work, <laughs> I'd say that. Um, I have loads of books and loads of programmes, uh, but chasing old newspapers, I'm not great for it now. And Kyle did a great job. So the two of us, um, the two of us linked in really well in this um, book. Well, I think we did anyhow. And, and what we did, we actually um, spoke about each of, the, each of the eight journalists. We spoke about the eight footballers who got killed. We actually then talked about the birth of the babes through journalism, how these newspaper men spoke about young Duncan Edwards. 16 and 18, um, you know, before uh, became really famous. You speak about the the media playing a part in the birth of the Busby Babes. It is that the Busby Babes comes from these journalists, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But the first mention came in 1951 um, when I think it was um, Tom Jackson said about the birth of the because Roger Byrne and Jackie Blanchard made the debut against Liverpool. And then a couple of years after, Alf Clark picked up the word Busby Babes. Right. So, in 1953. Uh, and George follows quite like the wording Red Devils. And so, it, that was basically how, how those words came about. Uh, we then actually covered the seven last match reports from Belgrade of the journalists because obviously Frank Swift was a Sunday paper in effect um, and then we, we did about the people who followed them um, in later years so it's eight chapters and one on each of the journalists who passed away yes each of the, each of the journalists and I've got a proof copy in front of me so like Alf Clark uh, you know, he, he bled United, red blood, 
um, Donny Davis, Old International. Um, and, we, you know, those are in alphabetical order. Yeah. And then we did the players in, in order of them making the debut for United. And you were saying before we started recording that the attention on the journalists who died as well as the players hasn't been what you'd expect it to be from current journalists in, in media today. I'm staggered about it, to be honest. Absolutely staggered. Um, for example, the, the, the Daily Mirror, as I say, um, you know, thanks to, um, to to David Ashton. Sorry, David Walker. I do apologise to David Ashton. It's David Walker, who's the uh, sports editor of the Mirror. He really picked up on this. And then Simon Mullock, who is the... Um, Sports editor of the Sunday Mirror. Them two have really um, given it great coverage. Not just because it's our book, I'm not saying because of that, but Paddy Barkley's done a lot of retweets. Um, Ian Herbert has been quite good, David MacDonald. But I am surprised that today, for example, at Sunday Supplement, you would have thought, and exclude my book here, please, please exclude my book. But you would have thought that Sunday Supplement, which is a journalist um, programme, would have actually highlighted the fact that eight great journalists got killed in the crash, besides um, eight famous footballers. And moving on very slightly, in terms of the impact of Munich itself, away from the journalists and back to the players, um, I saw Ed Woodward, who you wouldn't think would be the man to sum it up well, um, but saying in, in his notes when they, United gave out um, a sort of package at the game against Huddersfield on Saturday, was saying that Munich is an event which is forever woven into the fabric of this club's history. Just how how much of an impact in your years watching United since Munich have you seen it having throughout the years, 60 years on now? What is the, the legacy of the disaster today? Well, I was uh, a lot of uh, ten and a half when the crash happened. And I'd seen United since I was seven or eight. So I'd seen them play quite a lot. And I saw them when they beat Blackpool to win that first time from 56. I'd seen them the year before when they beat Chelsea in the last match of the season. And Chelsea won the league for the first time in their 50 years. And then it took them another 50 years, of course, to win it. And you could see this team building up. And I used to go and watch the youth team, because obviously they won the FA Youth Cup five years on the band, mm. um, from 1953. <clears throat> and um, the, the effect on, on Manchester w- was quite staggering, really, because it was only 13 years after the war, of course, um, and, you know, this is an absolutely major, major tragedy. I think what is incredible is that 10 years on, and I, I watched them a lot, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't go for the rest of the season in 1957-8 after the crash. I'd seen them play Ipswich Town in the Cup, uh, which was the last home game at United. They played Arsenal the week after, which is a famous game. But I'd been to the Ipswich Town game. Um, but from the following season, I virtually went to most home games. And the year after, I probably got to a lot of away games. Um, and there was, a, there was an impasse the year after the crash, incredibly, 58-9. They did come runners up, which was quite staggering. <clears throat> but then they had about four years where they were in mid-table. 
the signing of Law, of course, in 62, was a, a big fill-up, and of course, Beth came through, and Charles was there as well. Mm. Uh, and, and of course, 10 years after the crash in 58, they actually won the European Cup. So in those 10 years, they won two titles, the FA Cup, and then won the European Cup. I think that's quite incredible, really, to think that on February the 6th, or February the 7th, after the crash, and the the club virtually could have folded. They only had about eight players. Um, I do write about the, the 22 players who actually played in the first and second on the 1st of February. It was only eight of them could play the next the next game. <laughs> you know, because people were still injured in Munich or been killed. Um, so the, the youth system uh, was, was a, a massive pillar to them. And of course, you could say that it, it, it did increase United's, um, what's the word? It did increase United's, um, uh, across the world, you know, the information about Manchester United because of the crash. Yeah. Um, but they did, they did back that up by winning a couple of titles and the FA Cup and, of course, Beth Law. Yeah. It, it, it's, a, it's the tragedy that took United from one of the the great clubs in England and challenging with the Busby Babes for the European Cup that season um, and be, being the forerunners of English football by going into the European Cup um, took United from that club to being the global club to everyone knowing Manchester United. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, don't forget Busby was, I mean, the Football League basically ordered them not to go in the European Cup. They'd done it with Chelsea who I said I'd seen them win their title and United beat them last game of the season. But they they got refused entry into that European Cup. Um, and they didn't go in. And Busby was like, no, we're going in. Um, and there is always in the background the feeling that if they'd have missed the game on the Saturday because they'd been in Europe and weather, yeah. you know, bad weather, etc., um, whether the football league would have really come down on them. I mean, a lot of people don't know, but the, um, in the 58-9 season, the European Cup competition entered United into the competition. Uh, Real Madrid really wanted them to play. Uh, and the football league uh, opposed it. Our football association says no, they can go in it. And actually, United were in the draw for the 58-9 competition. Wolves were the champions, they were, they were in it as well. But United were in the draw and drew young boys at Burn. And finally, the Football League and Football Association, as a joint committee, ordered them and said, look, if you go in this, you know, the penalties would be really severe, inferring that they could have been relegated to this. It's and so they didn't actually go into that competition and they played young boys at Burn over two two lengths. Even after all of that, it's amazing that, that that is their response. But I guess you also look at you mentioned the fact that the the youth system was so important in maintaining United as a literally as a club. Um and Jimmy Murphy was at, at the head of that, but I guess that's also part of the legacy, the fact that United relied upon youth um and homegrown players and now 60 years on that is still a key part of the club and I guess Munich plays a huge part in 
creating the identity of Manchester United. It did. I think for some of those young players who were alive and around in the 17 and 18 in 1958, this is off the top of my head, but there's Alec Dawson, centre forward, Mark Pearson, inside forward, um, who were magnificent players, a great combination. But they must have been devastating. You know, they're only 17 and 18 and people were, up, were saying, oh, they're going to be the new Tommy Taylor and Dennis Lyra. Of course, Narby Styles came through very quickly. Johnny Giles uh, came through very quickly. Excellent player, Giles, by the way. Really good player. Um, and, you know, they, they're the sort of players that that big club had coming through. Um uh, and then, of course, Georgie Best came through. David Stodd, come through. And it's interesting to note that in 1968, there was eight players in that side that had come through the youth system in 1968. There was um, Shay Brennan, Billy Folks, Nobby Styles, Georgie Best, Brian Kidd, Bobby Charlton, David Sadler and John Austin. Um, so, you know, by 1968, um, the, the worth of the youth system uh, w- was there. Yeah. That, the, the, the story of from 58 to 68 is just astonishing. Um, and even, like, even when you, you reflect on it. I did, do, sorry, I did do a book called The Unfulfilled Dream. And in it, um, you, 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 I actually went through the Munich, but I then did a what-if what chapter. You know, what if? Because Duncan Edwards was, what, 21 when he got killed in 58? Mm. Yeah. In 68, he would have only been 29. <laughs> you know, who would, who would have been alive in 63 when you won the Cup? In 65, in 67? Would Dennis Law have signed? Would Paddy Clarence have signed? You know, it, 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 um, and I think I think I finished the chapter in '68 by saying Edwards picks the ball up, pings a forty-yard pass to Best, beats two men, pulls the ball back, Charlton makes a rocket shot, the goalie fumbles it, and Dennis Law scores. And and that yeah. that could have been reality. Yeah. <laughs> About the current book. The, the most recent book. Tell us where we can get it um, and read it. Uh, the Day Two, De- Two Teams Die is available on Amazon. Um, so if you put Roy Cavana on Amazon, the book is there uh, for everybody to, um, to find. And for our listeners, we'll stick a, a link on Twitter and in our show description for where you can buy that. And make sure to check out Roy's other books because there is a, there is a long list of them and... The insights you get from Roy is, I would almost say, unparalleled in terms of Manchester United. So, well, thank you for joining us today. No, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to speak to younger people like yourself who are continuing the uh, tradition of journalism. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Very much. Tuesday is a poignant day. The emotion surrounding the disaster 60 years on is still as raw as ever. United fans continue to follow in their families' footsteps and support the club. They learn about it, as I remember doing as a kid, and over the years taking it in and understanding what it means more and more. Given it was just a football club, 
It's an event that affected the whole country in an astonishing way. This was a team of the most magnificently confident and skillful young players who were the first English club to represent the country on an international stage going against the Football Association's wishes to enter and take part in the European Cup. Beating Red Star Belgrade before flying home, the Babes were into the European Cup semi-finals for a second consecutive year. The year before, they'd faced a Real Madrid side now considered one of the greatest football sides of all time with Di Stefano, Puskas, Copa, Gento and Santa Maria. As John Ludden, a fantastic author and writer who's done an extraordinary amount of books on Munich and, and more on Man United and other events in football history, puts it wonderfully. The Grim Reaper had come calling with larcenous intentions and ripped out the heart of Manchester United Football Club. Because that's what it did do. These were the babes, loved and adored by the people of Manchester and by the whole of the country. They were the future of the club and of English football. Blossoming under Busby, coming through the United system, the tragedy cannot be overstated enough. People crowded round Old Trafford, round newspaper stalls, round television and radio sets to find out the latest. Here is the news. So far we know there are 23 survivors after Manchester United's air crash at Munich this afternoon. The aircraft was a twin-engined Elizabethan on charter from BEA. It was returning from Belgrade where Manchester United had entered the semi-final of the European Cup. It had reached Munich and was just taking off for home in poor weather when the crash came at three o'clock. It plunged from about 60 feet, bursting into flames near houses. The sequence of events after that is told in some of the many pictures that have been pouring into London from Munich by wire. Rescuers fought to recover people from the blazing fuselage. The firefighters also had to contend with houses set on fire by the plane. But it's not just the event itself which makes it so important for the club these days. It's the response. The actions of many involved with the club in the aftermath of what was a true disaster is what makes the memory of Munich amazing. Jimmy Murphy, who was assistant manager to Busby ever since the war, is the reason that the club is still alive today. As Roy said in that interview, Manchester United could have easily folded. They had eight players on February the 7th, the day after the crash. Club officials had been killed. The entire country, let alone those actually involved with the club, those who knew the players, were in mourning. Murphy dragged United from lying face in the dirt back onto their knees and he and Busby created the world's biggest football club over the next decade. Some of United's board thought the club should pack it in, for the rest of the season at least. But Murphy had none of it, and his tireless actions, along with others, are why United is United. We'll never die, we'll keep the red flag flying high. Never have those words had more meaning to United than in the days after Munich. Thirteen days after the crash in Munich, Murphy guided United to a 3-0 win against Sheffield Wednesday in the FA Cup fifth round. By the end of the season, Matt Busby was back in the country. Duncan Edwards had died in hospital in Germany, but United had gone on and were in the FA Cup final, led out by Busby, but brought there, guided there by Jimmy Murphy. He's an oft-forgotten, unmentioned figure, but you could argue that he is more important than anyone else in the history of the club, and 60 years on, there is never a better time to remember Murphy. Going back to the words of John Ludden, Jimmy Murphy grabbed the reins and guided United through the worst period in their history. Some men don't need huge statues or grandstand. Jimmy's legacy is that the club is still around. We're 60 years on. The tributes are still as emotive as ever. What's wonderful is that Sir Bobby Charlton and Harry Gregg and others were at Old Trafford on Saturday, that the current playing squad received a letter from Charlton and that Harry Gregg could walk around Old Trafford with his grandson, who will learn about Munich in the years of his life to come. The story of how a club rose from the ashes of a burning plane in Munich to be the first English side to win the European Cup a decade later won't be forgotten. Many United fans have visited Munich this week to attend ceremonies, 
visit the tributes to those who were killed. Up to a thousand are expected to have done so. It happens every year, but this year bigger numbers than ever have gone over to Germany. United fans will never forget, and neither will the country. And I don't know about you, but I'll probably have a little cry, just as many do when thinking about it on Tuesday. The words of United's chairman at the time, Harold Harman, should be reflected on 60 years on from the crash. Although we mourn our dead and grief our wounded, we believe that great days are not done for us. Manchester United will rise again. United will go on, he said. 60 years on, United have gone on, but never without the memory of the 23 individuals tragically killed. Thanks for listening. One cold and bitter Thursday in Munich, Germany. Eight great football stalwarts conceded victory. Eight men will never play again who met destruction there. The flowers of English football, the flowers of Manchester. Matt Busby's boys were flying, returning from Belgrade. This great united family, all masters of their trade. The pilot of the aircraft, the skipper Captain Thane. Three times they tried to take off and twice turned back again. The third time down the runway, disaster followed close. There was slush upon that runway, and the aircraft never rose. It ploughed into the marshy ground, it broke, it overturned. And eight of the team were killed when the blazing wreckage Roger Byrne and Tommy Taylor Who were capped for England's side And Ireland's Billy Whelan And England's Jeff Bentine Mark Jones and Eddie Coleman And David Pegg also They all lost their lives as it ploughed on through the snow Big Duncan, he went too With an injury to his brain And Ireland's brave Jack Lanchflower Will never play again The great map must be lay there The father of this team Vlog months passed by before he saw his team again
trainer, coach and secretary And the member of the crew Also eight sporting journalists Who with United flew And one of them was Big Swifty The finest English keeper that ever graced the net. Oh, England's finest football team, its record truly great. Its proud success as mocked by a cruel turn of fate. Eight men will never play again. At destruction there The flowers of English football The flowers of Manchester Sports Social Podcast Network